Thank you for tuning in to Hill Country Fellowship's audio podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired as you listen today. Hey, I want to start us off by uh, just praying for uh, not, not just for Israel and the Mideast, but also uh, for, for believers' hearts to not be stuck in the fray of fear or, I mean, it, it's real what's happening, but for us to, to live above it because we know who reigns above it all. I was looking at a picture from space or something, and they're like, here's the fracas and how it looks now compared to what it did. I'm like, God's always seen everything, and he reigns above it all, and, and we're set. For those who know Jesus, you're set. If you've never made a decision to know Jesus, I have a way for you to be set. Uh, it's to know Jesus, and then everything is set. Life still happens. Stuff still happens. Uh, whether it's in Israel or it's like your eight-year-old disobeying you, stuff happens, but but he reigns above it all. So let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you for being the God of peace, the God of victory, the God of salvation, that whatever's happening around the world does not change hearts from being redeemed and reached and people ministering. And so I pray that we as, a, as, as followers of yours on this side of the globe, that we, we would be mindful to pray for your peace over Jerusalem because you, you tell us to and you say there's a blessing for those of us who, who continue to contend for the peace of Jerusalem, for Israel. But also we pray for uh, protection and covering for victory over uh, the darkness of men and evil and ultimately the, the most important thing, victory over, over that, that question of eternity so that those who don't know you, Jews uh, or, or Gentiles over there would come to know you that we would pray for salvation. We would pray for redemption. We would pay, pray for perfect uh, righteousness in relationship with you and not people trying to just, just figure life out, but they would know you above it all. And I pray that, that, that uh, those ministries and ministers in that whole region of, of Israel and Gaza and, and the West Bank and, and all throughout those, those neighboring nations, those Christian ministries and ministers would be, would be um, fortified by your spirit, would be empowered by your spirit, would be full of joy in the midst of. You'd give them wisdom and grace and tenacity to share the gospel with the unsaved and reach those where they are. Because I would imagine, God, that people are open to hearing something of hope right now. And I pray that the only ones with words would be believers going in and loving them uh, with the love of Christ. So would you reign above Israel in the Mideast, as you always have? Would you right now provide wisdom for the leadership there? Pray for... uh, Pray for victory over that, that wickedness of terrorism, and I pray for the protection of the people, uh, both the Jews and the Gentiles and, and the unsaved and, and the believers too. And uh, would you have, um, w- would you be highlighted in the midst of all this? In your name we pray, amen. Continue to pray for that peace, but pray for the, the, the message of the gospel to go in. Like our team's taking it to Cameroon, that people will just continue to take it into that whole region there. Uh, before I kick off, uh, I just want to, uh, just on a, uh, on a community note here, just want to say uh, congrats to Coach Wood, uh, uh, Burnett High School coach, got his 200th win the other day. How awesome is that? 
And uh, I just encourage, burn it just to keep on bringing the heat. Uh, winning by 24 and 25 kind of sets us up for uh, your spoiling us. So uh, keep it up. We got two more wins until the playoffs. So uh, good to go. And Marble Falls, we're here. We love you. Uh, it's not always going to be down. We just have, right now it hurts, but we love you. Good on you. Keep your chin up and then uh, burn it and make them have chins down as you take them down. Uh, so uh, we're in this, uh, in this study of the book of Acts, the first 12 chapters of Acts uh, as we head uh, to the end of the year here. Um, and as we've looked at Acts so far, we've done one through four so far. So we've seen in chapter one, Jesus tells us, you're going to be my witnesses. And then he... F- heads up in the sky, and they're like, what? You know, and then in chapter 2, uh, there, the 120 people are just waiting and worshiping and doing life kind of like we would be doing, but like, you know, if we were just waiting here and we did normal life until something happened, and then the Holy Spirit falls, and we see that, that they are spirit-led and spirit-empowered to do the, the work of Jesus in a new and unique way because they have the, the spirit of the living God in them, really empowering them forward to carry out this mission. 120 people. 120 people. I mean, it's not like if we gathered 120 here and we said we're going to plant a church and there were all these other churches around and all these Christians. It's like 120 people and then everyone they met didn't know Jesus. That's, that's crazy. And they went and they transformed the world by the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we saw as we embrace and welcome and, and, and just give access to the Holy Spirit, we can do all things that Jesus calls us to. Then we see in Acts 3 and 4 that we're, we're called to live out this courageous faith and by, by really by the, by the same power of that Holy Spirit uh, in us. And it brings us to where we are today in chapters 5 through 7 where we get our big idea and, and we ask the question, uh, you know, it's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a declaration and ask a question. Well, where is God at work and, and how can I join in? Like, God, where are you working and, and, and how can I jump in? Like, the stream is running hard. I just, I'm getting in so I can go down this way. That's what, what we always should do is find out what God's doing and join in. I think it was Jay, uh, Blackaby, Henry Blackaby, if you ever did the Experiencing God, uh, the study or read the book, that was the line. I don't remember anything about it except his name and that line, but it has stuck with me for uh, 25 years or so. Uh, find out what God's doing and join in, and you'll be good. Um, so as we look at, at Acts um, chapter 5 through 7 today, uh, we're going to see this opposition ramps up against them, and it's both opposition from within and opposition from the outside um, and so how does this young church and these all-in believers respond to lies and abuse, uh, attacks, schemes against them, and really against uh, the, the work of Jesus? You know, you're, you're young, you're just getting going, you're ramped up, and all of a sudden all these unfounded attacks happen. Typically, humanity would go, i got to fight back. But what we see in these, in these chapters is they serve. They give their lives away. They just, they're like, hey, more opportunity. They're a little edgy, but um, they're not leaving, so I'm going to tell them about Jesus. And then I'm going to love people that they won't love. I'm going to love them with the love of Christ. And, and it's interesting that all this negativity would happen, and then the response is, I'm going to serve our people and, and those people that are not even a part of our, our Christian community. You would... If you're like me, you would probably raise your hand and ask the question. They, they served after they fought back, right? That's what I would ask. 
The answer would be nope. They, they, they told people about Jesus, they served each other, and they loved their unsaved city around them. And then I'd probably be like, oh, okay, so God came down because they didn't need to stand up for themselves. God came down and smote everyone. Uh, and when the smoke cleared, then they just served because all the bad people were out of the way. It's like, no. He just empowered them in the midst of the, the attacks and the schemes and the abuse coming. They generously and sacrificially loved, served, and gave out of the overflow of thankful hearts because they were empowered from within by the spirit of the living God. So they just served. And, and God was up to something. He was transforming the world right before their eyes, right outside of their door. And so they just joined in. They saw what God was up to, and they said, we're going we're gonna to join in. And it's really kind of all upside down if you look at it from a human perspective. You know, the, the world would say, uh, man, fight back. Get your own. Do what it. Do it. Do what they do to win. Uh, our, our own thinking outside of Jesus having our thought life would would plan in a different way than hey I'm being attacked and lied about so I'm just going to give more. It's it's upside down, but really that's that's right side up. It's just upside down to the world around us. It's responding the way Jesus did it when he walked on planet Earth. And those things happened to him. This is how he responded. So we're going to respond this way. We're going to do this. But, but fortunately, we have a community that gets to do it. And, and we see in the beginning of Acts, it's, it's adding by thousands. And, and every day, they're growing in, in conversion to, to following Jesus. But, you know, there's some big ones at 3,000 here, 2,000 there, 5,000, and then daily. Uh, so, so they're not doing it alone because... God's up to something, and they're joining in. It's this audacious, wild, radical faith where the Holy Spirit carries out the redeeming mission of God in the lives and from the lives of faithful, flawed believers. Us, today. We're faithful, and we're flawed, but we believe. We follow a perfect God imperfectly, and he perfects us. Okay, yeah, I'll just agree with you, Jesus, because you say that. I'm righteous, perfectly righteous before God. I look in the mirror, and I'm like, well, but I am, because I'm going to agree with Jesus over Scott. And on those days, I agree with Scott a little more. I have a community around me that says, brother, you know what Jesus says and does. Yeah, I know. Thank you. So that's why he has to do it in community because we're going to have those extra flawed days where we need the extra faithful ones to help us. And then there's days when I'm extra faithful and I help out the extra flawed. But we're all on mission for Jesus. Believers who are empowered, filled, anointed, overflowing with the spirit of the living God versus then and now people who are selfish, uh, self-centered, uh, thinking about me and mine driven people. So it's servants or schemers, schemers or servants. So we're going to do a quick overview, uh, a look in at what's happening in Acts chapter 5 through 7. So we're going to be in that, in those three chapters mostly, if you want to turn to them, but we're not going to walk through every verse together. Um, and any good preacher that says Acts 5 through 7 is always going to go back and read another passage before that. Uh, so we'll go back to Acts chapter 4, because uh, it kind of sets us up for the first scheme we see 
in Acts chapter 4, 32 through 35, we see that all the believers were united in heart and mind. That, that alone is a miracle. I can't even get five kids to do that at home. Um, and they felt that they were, what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There, was no, there were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. So this generosity was flowing that took care of every need. And I'm convinced if, if the churches, even in a lost nation, if the churches can give at a high generous level, every need within the church and outside in the community can be taken care of by that generosity. We're growing into that, but we just need to always be like, Lord, how, how generous do you want me to be? So then we, move, we fast forward a little bit to Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So they were giving and taking care of all the needs. But there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself, the property was yours to sell or not sell. Like, that's your choice, bro. You didn't have to lie to God. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away or keep. So it's not a commandment or a mandate given to him, but he had a scheme going on. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Whoa, <laughs> I, everyone who heard about it was terrified, you think? Uh, yeah, that's, that's wild. I'm glad there's not like a biblical mandate principle that we live out of with that now. It seems like there's a, I don't know, I don't know how, why this happened exactly. And then we read about his wife comes in later, says the same thing, and Peter's like, there's his feet being dragged out right now, and she falls down dead. It's a wild scene, but they were scheming. They were scheming against God and for the approval of man. We move on in verses 12 through 16, and we see ministry and healing happening. They, they saw where God was at work, and they just joined in. They just said, okay, this is what God wants us to do. Miracles and healing started taking place. Verses 17 through 42 of chapter 5, we see that religion, the religious leaders of the day, they schemed to control while Jesus followers just trusted and served. So you have these religion, these religious leaders scheming to control people and, and Jesus followers were serving people. We see that the, the, the believers were being persecuted, arrested, beaten, threatened for their joyous faith and their joy just kept overflowing. And here's the thing. We have a God who's opportunistic. So they're being persecuted and threatened and we'll see later killed for their faith. Yet God, he saw an opportunity to, to work in the midst of that because it's about people's eternity and not their moment. He, he loves us and he cares about us in the moment. But everything is about eternity because it's about knowing Jesus and living an abundant life here. But that we have eternity. And for those who don't come to know Jesus don't make a decision to follow Jesus. Their eternity is spent without him. It is a Christless eternity in a place that was only created for Satan and his demons, but unbelievers choose 
to place themselves there. So for God, he's like, I want everyone saved. We see that in 2 Peter. So God has this opportunity before him to save people, to grow disciples, to advance the good news, and it's happening at a high rate here. He also raises up people to serve. That's what we see happen at the the beginning of chapter 6 of Acts. Stephen and and some others are, are, are chosen to serve everyone at the highest levels and in the most basic of ways. They're called to serve. While these would minister and kind of make plans and, and lead spiritually uh, the, the, the way that the, the Lord was leading him to advance the gospel, Stephen and his crew were, were like, we're going to take care of the needs, big and small, that are out there. This is where we first get an understanding of what, what, what we call deacons in a lot of the churches in, you know, in, the, in, in like really the Western world. Um, some churches have the office of deacon. Some just call them deacons. But the, the word deacon itself means serve or to servant, to, uh, a servant, a person who serves. So what I love about like our church is we don't have the title deacon on anyone, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we have uh, hundreds of deacons in our church. Uh, we have deacons right over there uh, with radical faith and joy and patience working with all of our kids they are deacons. We have deacons that are serving in safety capacities. We had deacons that, you know, we had one deacon that, that served in the cafe today, and yesterday he was shooting paintballs with seventh graders. Uh, he's, he's, he's serving. We have, we have deacons that, that uh, lead our marriage ministry on Sunday mornings. We have deacons that are doing a, a marriage conference in a couple weeks on a Friday and Saturday here. We have deacons that are going to be serving hamburgers and hot dogs to you over there. Um, there's all sorts of ways to be a deacon. I jokingly refer to it as deaconing if somebody really wants a, 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 a Bible word or a churchy word. Uh, but if you want to be a deacon in this church, just serve. It's available to you. So that's really where we get the start uh, of what that means in, in the word. And then later on, Paul writes about some specifics using that word, uh, deacon. But the reality was that they, the, the people, the leaders, the, the, the new ones that were kind of assigned that deacon work, even though they weren't necessarily called that here, they were chosen to serve like Stephen was, they, they joined in where God was at work. And so we read at the, in verse 7 of chapter 6, because of this, God's message continued to spread. The number of believers increased, greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. It's interesting, if you have 3,000 and 5,000 happening, what does greatly increased mean? If that wasn't greatly, I, it's like, wow. I mean, it must have been like five figures at that point. That's what happens when you live as a redeemed son or daughter. You see everything as this Jesus showcase moment with nothing being pointless, whether I am taking out the garbage, mowing the lawn, trimming the trees of some elderly lady in the, in, the, in the church who can't get up in a tree, or you're preaching uh, from a pulpit on a Sunday. Everything is a Jesus showcase opportunity because we live to find out what God's doing and then say, can I be a part of that? And he says, come on, come on. I mean, as a pastor, I, there's times I clean toilets. It's not a bad, big thing. I do it at home all the time, so why not do it here, Right? It's it, whatever, wherever you serve Jesus and his church, it's a God opportunity to highlight Jesus with, with selfless love 
as a servant, not a schemer. Ananias and Sapphira, they believed that being seen as the same as others was a negative. So they're like, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pocket a little money, but we're going to let people think this about us. They're going to say, did you hear what they did? Did you see them hand that big check over? I mean, it was like the music was playing, and somebody else was like, they hired a band. And it's like, oh, yeah. You know, that, but they, they were scheming to be seen as more than they thought they were worth because their worth was based on what they made happen, not on what Jesus said about them. Now, sadly, we go on from this point to read more about how religion can't handle freedom, can't handle joy, can't handle not being in control of, of others, that, that grace and unconditional love and, and true forgiveness are something they need to bestow or tell you about instead of just get it from Jesus yourself. So religion had a hard time here, and they say they were scheming against these people just giving their lives away. They could care less about helping the poor and the orphans and the widows. But when these new Jesus followers start doing it, uh, we're going to be in control. So they schemed to, to take care of that. In Acts 6, verses 8 through 15, Stephen actually gets arrested and schemed against and put on trial because he was just so nice. It's weird. He, he hadn't even preached the message we're about to see him preach. He was just being good to people, and he got arrested, and they, they got people together. They said, make up these lies about him and say it publicly because we got to get him put on trial. And then in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 7, we see that he didn't even defend against the lies. He simply used it as a God opportunity. The high priest asked Stephen in verse 1, are, you, are these accusations true? This was Stephen's reply. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. Our glorious God. And then he goes on, verses 2 through 53, basically saying, let me tell you about a guy who saved me and who loves everyone. And he told them the story of God's work through the people of Israel up to Jesus and how much God loves them and desires life and redemption for them. And they killed him for it. They killed him for telling, him the, telling them the story of God in their own people's lives because religion has to be in control and Jesus wants us to be in relationship with him. And here's the thing. They lied about him. They schemed to end his life and eventually stoned him to death and killed him. And even in his last breath, Stephen was spirit-led. His response to being killed, he prayed and he asked God not to hold that sin of murder against them doing the murdering. Verse, verses 59 and 60 of chapter 7. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. He even saw him. And Jesus, here's the cool thing. Almost every reference to Jesus in heaven, he's seated at the right hand, right hand of God. That's like the seat in this in this statement here, Jesus is standing. I just picture it as, oh, yeah. Way to go, Stephen. That's my boy. Like Jesus is seated because it's a seat of power and authority, and he is the king of the universe. But in this moment, 
That Stephen that he made and saved and called and gave a job that he knew would take his life. He's like, that's my guy. Gabriel, Michael, you see this? That's our guy. He's doing a good job. And so it says that Stephen shouted, Father, don't hold this sin against them. And then he died. Sounds a lot like our Jesus. Sounds a lot like Jesus on the cross. Don't hold this sin against them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You can only show grace to horrible people and horrible actions from people by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no way we can manufacture grace for someone killing us outside of the power of the Holy Spirit. You can only forgive this way by the persistent and present power of the Holy Spirit in you to do these supernatural things like forgive them for the rocks they're hurling at my head right now. This is going to take my life. To be able to, to treat people in ways that are far greater than we could ever do on our own accord takes the spirit of the living God in us. You and I, we were born to serve, not to be served. We were born to highlight Jesus, not to be highlighted. Now, here's the thing. We were born to serve, not to be served, but then Jesus came and served us because he showed us the way that humans are to live for others, for the kingdom, for the gospel, for eternity with him. We were born to glorify Jesus by meeting the needs of others, not setting up life for us to be cheered for, not to get my own accolades. And one day we're going to stand before Jesus and give an account about how our faith led us to either give away our lives or how we let fear of whatever it is Hold us back and do things for ourselves. So live to serve. Amen. And I don't think most people think when they do something wrong or selfish or self-centered, think, I'm scheming against God right now. I don't think we think that way. But when I'm doing something selfish, self-centered, or for Scott, I am scheming against the way God redeemed me to live. He saved me to live for Jesus from Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, not how I did before him. Because that's just pre-Jesus me, and I don't need to live that way anymore. Here's the real point of it all, though. When you, when, when you look at the way God works and what Jesus wants to do in our lives, what he wants us to know and step into, when it all comes down to it, these chapters and these stories in Acts 5 through 7 are about the heart. It's, it's where your heart is, how your heart is, and, and whose your heart is. Now, I can say I followed Jesus. I, I did for, for a long time. I, I followed Jesus, but I never let him have my heart. It's like, ooh, there's a lot of mess in there, and I don't want you to go messing with my mess. I got it pretty packed tight. So I held that in for a long time. So I believed, and, and I liked the whole Jesus thing, but no, this heart's mine. You can have it when I die. That's how I lived, and I thought, that's probably wrong, but I, I, there's no way I can let you have this because, like, that means I got to do stuff and let you have I got to be vulnerable. What I love about this story, the sad part is you have these schemers in Ananias and Sapphira or in the religious people. They, the sad part is they just did not let God have their heart. The cool part is you see that Stephen did. No one 
who controls their own heart and doesn't give access to God will go as far as Stephen did for the gospel. They'd be like, I- I'm out. I didn't mean it. No, I give up. I'm, I'm with you, fellas. Uh, you know, but he, God had his heart and he was good. So what's in your heart? What's in your heart? And I would imagine everybody in here, you're either fully following Jesus, faithfully believing in him, or you're, you're interested and you're seeking. So it's a good posture to be in. But at the same time, we can be followers who don't give him full access to our heart. And Jesus is saying, I, I want your heart. And in Matthew 10, 39, Jesus says this. He says, if you cling to your life, your heart, the things from you, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, give me your heart and let me be in charge, you will find it. In Mark 7, 6, Jesus clearly distinguishes between the words we say and things we do versus your heart reality. If, if you say this and do this, but really believe this in your heart or feel this way in your heart or act this way in your heart, it's, it's not real. In Luke 6, verse 46, Jesus says, you call me Lord, but, but you never really act like it. So it's all a waste. It, it'll collapse like a house built on sand. And, and I don't want that for you. I didn't die for you to have houses collapse when storms come. So let me have your heart to put you on a foundation called me so that when life squeezes you, grace comes out. When tragedy strikes, forgiveness and, and hope come out. When, 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 when a world looks like it might go to war, trust and hope and security in him comes out instead of fear and uh, the sky is falling. When someone's broken and you know that they've done stuff against you in the past and you see them broken before you, compassion comes out. Because if you're running your own life, And if you have control of your own heart, when somebody who has opposed you in life has a hard time, you're going to be like, ha! But if Jesus has had your heart and has healed it, you'll be like, hey, how can I I come alongside you and help you? I'm so sorry that happened. And they might even have done it to themselves, but you can still have compassion for them. That's a heart that Jesus has. And that's what he's saying here. So what's in your heart? Matthew 12, 34 says, hey, what's, what's in your heart will come out in your words and your deeds. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks and the, the, your body acts. So what's in your heart? Get it free so you can freely love, serve, and give away. Then you can excitedly see what God is doing and joyfully join in. Anybody ever begrudgingly do something Jesus asked you to do? Five of us are the only ones who've ever done that. Y'all are amazing besides the five of us, right? I, I, have, I have lived begrudgingly against the things he's asked me to do at times because I've been thinking about Scott. I didn't agree with him. He didn't quite understand our conversation, uh, and he wasn't listening to me. But when he has my heart, and it is set... Still in process, always. Until I'm still on the potter's wheel until I die. But, but when he has my heart and he's getting rid of those junk pieces and something happens or he asks me to do something, I'm like, you said it, I'm doing it. I, I'm going. 
I'm doing that. I'm talking to that person. Ooh, that person that betrayed me or connived against me or, or lied about me. You're, you're giving me a chance to, to like sit down and have coffee with them? I'm all in. That's the kind of response he wants, but he's got to have our heart because we can only fake it for so long. You can only do the right thing because you're supposed to for so long, so you got to give him your heart so he can get rid of the junk, replace it with all the Jesus stuff, so when life squeezes, Jesus comes out. Ananias and Sapphira schemed for popularity. No trust in God and no relationship with him or others. Those religious leaders, they schemed for power based out of fear, had zero relationship with anybody. Their hearts were broken. They were bound. They were filled with mess. Stephen, he was free and he lived from that. Out of the abundance of Stephen's heart, he served. He probably wasn't happy about stones coming at his head, but he didn't get angry. He didn't curse him. He didn't grab him and throw him back. He, he was lied about, and in the midst of that, he spoke words of grace and life and truth. He loved others, and he gave away all because of Jesus. Because his heart was healed and whole in and from Jesus. A heart set free is a setup for deep relationship with the one who made you, who came for you, who died in your place, who redeemed you and called you to new life, and who says, serve with me in Burnett County, Texas, around the globe from this church or your home church and, and, and for the sake of others. A heart set free says, yeah, I'm all in. So I have a question for us, and it's an application question. I'm not going to require you to tell me, but I'd love to hear from you this week if you want, but an application to give you today. What heart issue or heart struggle do you need to lay at the altar? And I'm not saying physical altar, or you might, you might still do that, it, but I'm not saying it has to be that. What, what heart issue do you need to, to put at Jesus' feet and say, I, I'm tired of being in control of this. I don't want it anymore. Help me. What heart struggle, heart issue do you need to just say, God, here? I mean, back in 2003, my most broken state ever, everything was, had gone wrong, and I didn't care if I lived or died. I wanted him just to take me away, and he was like, Scott, I'm not going to take you away, but I, but I am going to heal you if you let me, and I just said, then you have to take control because I'm terrible at it, but I'm freaked out not to have it. Like, I want to write my own story, but I don't know how to write, <laughs> and, and I'd be terrible. So I had to give control of present, future, and, and leadership in my life to him. I had to give Jesus the leadership that he rightfully had. I called him my God and my Savior and my King, but I held back leadership and control so that Scott could be on the throne. And I had to lay it down, and it was hard, and it freaked me out. And all he did was come through for me. That's all he did. 
All he did was heal me and fix things and transform my life and change the way I thought about things and heal broken relationships. And where I had, had we had two miscarriages and I put a son in the ground who, was, who died at birth. He gave us five kids. I mean, all he did was come through in ways I couldn't have ever imagined. All I got was 100% of God for giving up 100% of Scott, but it freaked me out. So what do you need to lay in God's hands today? Just God, I, God, I know I need to lay this in your hands, but I still don't even know if I want to do this. Would you be willing to be willing to lay it down? I'm going to ask you to stand right now. And I want to ask this question. Do you want to be set free? Do you want to live free? Have a heart so healed and whole that when life squeezes you out of nowhere and it pains you, it's a real zinger that, that gets to you. Because I can, if I know something's coming, I can kind of plan for my response. But when life squeezes you like that, in some way, shape, or form, whether it be a person or a circumstance, that your heart is so free that, that what comes from you is only what Jesus would say, what Jesus would do, what Jesus would think, and what Jesus would believe. It's possible, but you gotta give him your heart. He wants your heart whole and free so that out of the abundance of your heart, Jesus speaks. He wants your heart whole and free. So those things from the past, way distant past, to, to maybe the, the, the recent present, don't dictate your life anymore because Jesus has all of you and he oozes from you out of your mouth, out of your hands and in your thoughts. Jesus, we thank you and I pray whether they're listening online or here, especially in this building, that you would have our hearts today. Every single person would give you our hearts and say, here, you know what's in there that needs to come out. I give you full control. Hands lifted up. You reign above every situation in my life. You reign above it all. So I give it to you and I trust you and I will walk in whatever you have for me. I will walk out of whatever you don't want to have in me anymore and I will embrace all that you have for me so that when, when life happens, out of the abundance of my heart, you speak. In your name we pray. Amen. For more messages and full services, visit hcfburnit.org or the Church Center app and connect with us on social media.